This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. We have the pleasure of having seriously, probably, if you were to get the... um, the template for quote Mr. Nice Guy in the insurance industry. We got him here today. Billy Wagner is probably by far one of the best just overall people that I know of in our industry. And his business certainly reflects that. But you know, there's a lot of times you see people out there that are successful and you don't want to hang out with them and you don't want to feel like you feel like they're not approachable. And this guy's the exact opposite, which makes him a unicorn in my book. Billy, so glad to have you on today, man. Always uh, feel better after talking to you. How's things going on your side of Florida? Oh, it's my pleasure to be with you. And uh, things are going really great. And I'm great, grateful to be on this podcast. I, I've watched kind of what you're doing, David, and it's you know, you're showing up like nobody else. And I've met you about a year ago. And man, if you want to see why someone's successful, just follow them around and see what they're doing. And you're you're crushing it. And so I'm honored to be on here kind of with you. And I tell my team all the time, if you want to be remarked about, you got to be remarkable. And some of the things you're doing, your book and all that kind of stuff is pretty, pretty awesome. So keep keep it going, man. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. You know, it's interesting. You know, the one advice I would give to anybody regardless of what you do for a living is just have fun while you're doing it, you know? And I don't remember who had the quote, but um, you know, there's a quote out there and I'll probably pull like a Jason Cass or a Ryan Hanley and completely botch it when I say it. But um, you know, if you find something that you're passionate about, you'll never work another day in your life. And you know, the last year has been kind of a whirlwind. It's been a lot of things that were sort of in motion or were ideas Um in my head that have sort of come to fruition, but we're having so much fun, man, that it doesn't like, I I tell my wife every Friday, Holy cow. I can't believe the week is already over. And here I am. It's another Friday. And it's just like, I don't feel like I've really done anything from a work standpoint all week yet. We're writing more business than we've ever written. We're, you know, we're putting out the podcast in, in a lot of the other things we're doing. It's just, it's, it's been really a weird phenomenon. And so my, my, the one thing I would want people to take away from that is don't be afraid to take action, right? Mm-hmm. And so if there's one thing that I would say differentiates me from anybody else, 
I'm not afraid of losing. I'm not afraid of failing, but I'm mm. never going to not try. And so, you know, it's funny because you see people's lives in social media and everything else. And it's like, oh, wow, everything's perfect, whatever. Well, you know, that's kind of what social media does. I'm the first people to tell everybody, you know, first person to tell everybody it's not all rainbows and unicorns on my side of the bridge either. I deal with the same stuff that any business owner deals with, any father deals with, any husband deals with. Um, but at the end of the day, I just, I take action and push forward. And, you know, I'm also quick to cut bait. If something looks like it's not going to work, I'm out, you know, yeah. that's it. Yeah. I think it's also like the growth that, you know, you're jumping into a bunch of things you haven't done before. And we're, we're working on that with my team and also with my kids. You know, when this whole pandemic started, I said, look, you're going to make something remarkable about what just happened to us in the next two months. Something good is going to come out of it. So I pushed them to learn, learn the guitar, play some songs together, you know, my, teaching my daughter how to edit videos like something good is going to come out of this. There's going to be a silver lining. And, you know, and, and then my own self, I'm pushing myself, you know, I've had a, a goal to write a book of my second book for a while. And, and I, I've probably spent, you know, 40, 50 hours on that in the last, you know, in the last couple months, which I wouldn't have done otherwise. So growth is something that, you know, is, is that I, something I'm always pushing for. How do you, how therapeutic do you find writing your book to be? I mean, that I'd like to compare notes on that a little bit because that was an that was an interesting process. My my mind is a very very busy place most of the time, mm-hmm. and to be able to get that onto paper and make sense to anybody else is nearly impossible. That's yeah. crazy, man. I, I I I like my brain is not computing that. Like if I were to try to start writing a book right now, I would get through maybe like two sentences and just be like, dude. This is ridiculous. <laughs> so, so the first book I wrote was about insurance. It was called Insuring Your Peace of Mind. And I wrote it to raise money for charity. And it, it was about insurance. It was, you know, I tried to tell stories, make it funny. But, you know, it's a, it's a book about insurance. So I thought only my parents would buy it, you know. So it was harder <laughs> to do because it's hard to make that exciting and fun, right? So that one was harder. Uh, the one that I'm writing right now is like a life purpose passion for me. And I'm writing a book called Guiding You. And it's really a book about teaching life lessons to my kids about what I've learned. So I've been a student of the game for, you know, the last 15 years, I've tried to study and learn about different subjects and really dial down. So I figured out what those 10 chapters were going to be about, like, what do I want to make sure they learn? And then I just broke down those 10 chapters. And, you know, it's kind of like, how do you make an impact? How do you achieve excellence? How do you you know, get your financial house in order. So those kind of are, are the topics. And then I'm breaking those down, trying to tell stories through that and make it interesting, but also something that they can learn from. So that's, it's a, something that I've always wanted to do. And right now it's, it's my main priority this year to really kind of get it wrapped up. So it's funny, man, because Kyle just had his first son, uh, first child period, but it, it's a little boy. I have four kids and I literally am not necessarily a hundred percent on that same road as what you are, but definitely have thought the exact same thing because there's so many educational things that have happened with my kids, but also so many humorous things that have happened that have been learning lessons. Like the time that my boys thought it would be a good idea to chop the bananas off the banana tree in the back and then go take them up and set up a card table at the end of our street and sell them to the people that were driving by 
And I walked up and told, asked them how much money they had. And they had made like 20 bucks. And I said, well, I need $10 of that. And they didn't understand. They didn't understand why I needed 10 bucks. And I said, well, A, I paid for the tree and I paid to fertilize the tree. And this is my card table. So, you know, there's overhead associated in business. And truthfully, if you're popping more than about 30 points, you're doing pretty good. So I'm giving you the dad uh, fact, you know, benefit of the doubt only charging you half. But, you know, I think that there's a lot of us that, uh, you know, I, I just think that, that people relate very, very well to that, you know, mm-hmm. and a lot of us that run in, in the same circles, you know, we, we sort of think the same way, even if it's not completely in alignment, you know, our value systems are pretty close. Our moral compasses are pretty close and level of success seems to follow some of that stuff. And I think that, you know, early in my life, when I was in retail, I was under the impression that I just really, really, really needed to work hard. I needed to work hard. The more hours I worked, the better I would be. And having kids changed that. You know, then I became very, very, um, very, very aware of the fact that my kids needed my time. And I made a commitment that I would never be that dad that would be sitting there at his computer with his son tag- tagging, uh, tugging on his arm to go out and throw the ball with him. It's just not going to happen. And mm-hmm. so, that's really one of the reasons I got into insurance and production specifically was because I wanted that flexibility. I wanted to be able to have the nice lifestyle, but I wanted to be able to be around for my family. And then I opened an agency and threw all that out the window. So, <laughs> Yeah, I have a very similar story in that, you know, I, I was going to college and started in the restaurant business and I kept getting promoted in the, in the restaurant business. And that just kind of became my career, much like you did in the, in the you know, retail side. And I was there for 10 years and I kept getting promoted and I was, you know, managing a ton of people. I learned so many lessons there. But what I learned was that I can't live this painful life forever. And, you know, the 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 the, H, the people issues, the weekends, the holidays. And, and that was a defining moment for me is a lot of my managers went into the insurance business. So I started studying it and I said, I'm going to figure out how to make a business. And I've always been very entrepreneurial. So I studied a lot of businesses and finally kind of made the decision to go start scratch in 2006. And it was the best decision I ever made. I only wish I just started it earlier. You know, it's interesting because um, who was it, Kyle, that we talked to that said they started right out of high school selling life insurance? Ooh. Um, somebody, somebody told us that and it, they said they figured out it was some, it, it may not have been on a podcast. It may have been somebody I was talking to, um, on a, on a one-off conversation, but they said, I, they said, I got into insurance right out of high school. It's like the exact opposite of everybody else that I talked to because everybody else right. I talked to did like something for 10 years first. But yeah. this person, I was like, well, apparently you also understood compound interest in a, in a, in a uh, association with residual income because, Good grief. If you were selling insurance at 19 or 20 years old and you did halfway decent, the amount of money you could put away and, and have banked and, and gained interest off of is phenomenal. I, I have a fundamental belief that I think everybody should have to work in retail or restaurants or some sort of a public facing customer service capacity because it teaches you so many skills. It teaches you skills on how to lead a team, how to manage by numbers, how to achieve goals, how to how to do a lot of that stuff. But you know, probably that one of the best skills that I got from all of that is how to diffuse somebody who's pissed off really, really quick. Yeah. You know, you have 30 seconds, if that, in most cases. And, you know, it's never, oh, don't worry about it. It'll be okay. You like, whatever happened is always the nuclear trigger to whoever that person, 
is. It's a jacked up baby cake with the wrong name on it, uh, wrong name on it, or, you know, any number of things. And so that's really where I started realizing that the key to gaining customer loyalty and referrals, because believe it or not, you talk about that stuff in the grocery business too. And we didn't have the internet back then. It wasn't like people went and left reviews or trashed you or whatever else. They just picked up the phone. So if you lost a customer, you knew you were going to lose 10 or 20 more. But the same thing would hold true if you gained them. And so a lot of the things that I do right now that people might say, you know, are perceived as being over the top or next level or whatever. That's how I got loyalty out of negative situations early in my career. So if we jacked up your cake, okay, we jacked up your cake. Listen, it's not the end of the world. Where's the party? Well, it's at the park and it starts in 45 minutes. Don't worry about it. You go get the party set up. Your cake will be there in plenty of time. And we would go back. We take care of the cake. And then I would personally go down and deliver it. But I wouldn't show up with the cake the right way. I'd have the cake. I'd have a couple dozen balloons. I'd have some flowers. I'd have some ice cream to go with it. Maybe a couple of gift cards for the store. And what did it cost me? Maybe a 100 bucks. Every single person at that party knew who I was, where I came from, and was absolutely blown away that we would go to that level. And I think that a lot of the times, especially, I don't know, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to trash people in the insurance industry by any stretch, but I just think sometimes our peer group is so short sighted in realizing that what you choose to invest in, I mean, there's creative ways to get things done. Don't get me wrong. It's not like I'm just throwing money out the window, but where I really see the value is spending that extra time and that extra money just a loop, just enough. It doesn't have to be crazy. Just enough to be at a completely different level than anybody else. And you'll have clients for life and constant referral sources. And I know for a fact, you do a lot of that stuff with the people that refer business to you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you were doing the extra two minutes back then in, in, the, in that business too. So, and that's the same, like, you know, my team is empowered to do that kind of stuff. So, they all have a budget. So whenever they see something like that, they jump on it. So we had a house fire, you know, last year and my team knew they had kids there and they just went to the store, bought some toys and drove to the house and delivered those. So it's, it's like a simple thing like that, but it's like teaching them what those moments are. You think that that family's ever going to forget that we did that. Right. And mm-hmm. so I'm always looking at businesses that are doing stuff like that. Like there's a hotel in California that has a popsicle hotline by the pool. Right. It's like everybody's going to talk about that. I'm sitting here talking about it on a podcast and it's like the kids called up the popsicle hotline and they run out there with the popsicles. How inexpensive is that to do? And they're not a nice hotel, but they have like 4000 reviews on Google. Right. So it's like being a little bit different doesn't cost that much more. And again, like I was saying earlier, if you're remarkable, people will remark about you. And, you know, our business gets about four to five thousand referrals a year. And it's a bunch of little things like that that caused that to happen. You know, it's funny too, because in Jason Cass talks about this, I actually, before I ever even knew Cass, I, I was a hundred percent on the same page and everybody talks about customer service. I actually did a video and a blog post about this this week. If you're offering customer service, your book's at risk because it's not about customer service. It's about an awesome client experience. Yeah. And you know, one of the, one of the studies that I always, or one of the things I always look at is 
we have the ability to stay at Motel 6. And you could probably go into Motel 6 and you're going to get a room and it, it's probably going to be clean. You're going to be able to get checked in and checked out relatively quickly. And, every, you know, they'll say thank you for staying with us. And, you know, for all practical purposes, everything is executed to perfection. Or you could go stay at the Ritz-Carlton. And the same basic premise, right? You're looking for a place to stay, but why do people pay more money? And why do people have a cultish loyalty to the Ritz Carlton as opposed to Motel Sex? They're both they're both places you lay your head at night to sleep, and it's about the experience. It's not about the service. Mm-hmm. Service is an That's action. Experience experience is an emotion. And if yeah. you can make those people feel like they are the most important person to you at that time. Like, listen, man, you have no idea what your your package is going to look like right now when it comes right. to you for coming on our show. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you that my goal in doing that is to exceed those expectations. Now, we've set the bar very, very high. And right. so far, even as high as we've set it, everybody's been like, holy cow, I can't believe this actually came out even better than I thought it would. So I know I'm putting a lot of pressure on myself, but it is. It's all about experience. Why don't you... Why don't you talk a little bit about, um, you know, I've got a couple of things. Number one, talk a little bit, as long as we're going down this road, about some of the cool stuff that you are doing for your referral partners, because I know that that it's not an accident, right? It's not an accident that this stuff's happening. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things I do now is design outcomes and I'm always looking at, okay, what do I want to accomplish? Where are the weaknesses and what can we do to kind of you know, tighten down and double down on what we're really good at. And so we've got four or 500 referral sources now, and we've got a very systematic uh, approach where, you know, we touch them in certain ways and we're, you know, each one of my team is responsible for having coffee with a center of influence every single week, you know, so we've got nine people doing that. You, you magnify that and the coffee is all about how we can add value. And I've created courses and education for those centers of influence. So I might do a class for them on time management and how to organize their day. I might do a class on how to hire profitable team members. I might do a class on how to build a referral-based business for them, 10, you know, 10 steps to do that and how we did it. Uh, we might talk about how to help them with team meetings, um, making an impact in the community. We'll put on events where we're going to teach them. We'll bring in speakers like John Gordon. So we're doing things differently. It's kind of like you said when you, you know you approach somebody and ask somebody and you're doing it in a different way. Uh, you know, come on my podcast. We're just asking them, you know, how we can add value. What are your pain points? And then we're delivering on those very differently than anyone else. And uh, and then you know we also the first time somebody sends us a referral, they get a a. Uh, a first referral gift and it's it's not a lot we don't um you know so like they might get something like this we'll look on their facebook page and it's a mouse pad that just you know of their the best picture of them right so something personal to them that means something to them so and then we you know also um are always checking on them you know we're always like are you okay what can i help you with you know we might you know call and get their processors a pedicure you know this week and take care of them so we're just constantly trying to add value to their in, their their process and we've worked really hard to build those relationships so strong that they trust us and there's a lot of ways you do that and there's a lot of little things in in that about having a really fast process of effective dates change we jump on it but like you said customer service regular stuff is the baseline expectation you've got to do something more for them. Uh, I can tell you, I had a, a, a real estate agent call me. I was at my f- son's football game 
and they were like freaking out because their deal was going to fall through because there was a crack in somebody's driveway and the policy was going to cancel before they could close. And it wasn't even our client. She was just a great referral source for us. And she said, can you help me? And I'm like, absolutely. Let me, let me work on it. So I called the carrier. It wasn't even our policy. Called the carrier, said, hey, I need this favor. You know, I need you to reinstate this policy. They're going to get the driveway fixed. It's going through a sale. I need you to reinstate it. There was a hurricane three days away. And they reinstated the policy and they didn't have to. It was, it was a canceled policy. Um, so I did that for that real estate agent. She'll never forget that. Right. right. And it's always looking for opportunities like that to show up like nobody else. Like no one expected you to show up, just like David was talking about. Well, and the fact of the matter is you've done that same thing for the underwriter and the carrier people, too, to preserve that relationship or that favor never would have been pulled. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, relationships are everything, you know. Um, you know, and I think the other thing that most agents are missing is, and you talked about it earlier, is the experience. You know, to me, the experience is everything. It's kind of like what what happens, you know, when somebody calls your office at 8.55, you know, do, do they answer right before you open? Or what if they call at 5.05? What's the experience like? And so we secret shop our office. They they know we're, we're my team is special forces, right? Like we're teaching them how to answer the phone. We answer the phone. How can I make this the best call of your day? We, we have certain strategies to build rapport in that initial conversation. Uh, we're telling them um, we're going to drop everything right now and focus only on you. You are our number one priority right now. So a lot of it is the power of words and building that into a system that is followed each time so that there's a consistent uh, way that it gets delivered each time. Why, why do you think other people aren't doing that? You know, I think they're so stuck inside their office they don't realize. You know, it's like... I do an agency review on my store where I walk in from the front door and I go, is the ledge dusty outside? What's the sign look like? You know, is the lighting right when you walk in the door, uh, listening to call? I just, that's their biggest problem is them not focusing on what is it like when the experience happens? You know, it's the difference of going to Chick-fil-A or McDonald's. Like there's a different experience there and there's ways that you can capture what's working and double down on it and also be different. And so we're always looking for ways where they go, oh, I didn't expect that, you know, I wasn't expecting you to do that or whatever. And so I just think it's a blind spot for a lot of business owners because you, you were all interacting with so many businesses that are just missing it. And it's like so obvious. I like I can't walk into a business without doing it. It's in my, it's it's entrenched in my head. Like I'll realize that their dumpster, you know, gate isn't closed all the way and I can see back. I mean, it just drives me crazy. Or it's like their team is expensively freelancing. And what they're saying is pissing people off. And, and the people that are running that organization have no idea why their sales are down. You know, it's very obvious. Just, you know, go through that experience and understand it from the customer perspective. They don't care about our guidelines and our policies and all this other crap. They just care about getting what they need fast and, and, and having a friendly voice on the other end that's kind of on their side trying to help them more than anything. It's funny. I talk about it in my book, but one of the habits that got ingrained in me from being in the grocery business was driving around the perimeter of the building before I pull into my parking spot. And I did that because I knew that my district manager did that. And I wanted to make sure that if he happened to show up that day, that there wasn't any you know, stacks of pallets that were out there that shouldn't have been. The dumpster was secured, no trash laying around and all of that. And I find myself doing that every single time I go visit a prospect or a client now. And it's amazing what you pick up just from that experience. Like I went into an account one time 
their experience mod was like a 1.7 on the workers comp. And as I drove around the perimeter of the building, they had three guys sitting there smoking cigarettes on top of the rack that stored the propane tanks. Yes. It's just like, come <laughs> on, man. And and so just crazy things like that. It made for an interesting icebreaker when I got in to talk to them. But, you know, just little things and paying attention to those details. As soon as you started talking about looking at the perception, here's what this looks like, what's the lighting and all that. I'm like, oh, my gosh, it sounds like Billy's working my store. You know, <laughs> it's what it sounds like. Yeah. And I think it's also, you know, that the work that I do with the team is, you know, that's what makes the hair on the back of my neck stick up is helping the folks that are on my team, making them better. Like no one is going to work in this office without becoming a better person, without personally growing. And it's like a lot of a lot of owners just try to say, okay, you know, just go out and go out and do it without giving them the tools and without coaching them. Like we spend so much time developing and teaching that you know, there's a reason why they're at a different level than than my competitors, because, you know, we're role playing things. We, we talk about what is the 10 most common things that you're going to come across in a day. What's the 10 most common emails that you're going to get? Let's build a template that works perfectly for that and build it into the automation. Right. So all those things are really critical and spending the time to, you know, do that education. Like when I started scripting in my office, we don't you know, it's not a hard script. It's like key points. When I started doing it, it took me five years to implement it. I thought it was happening. And then I secret shop and I was like, oh yeah, they're just telling me. And when I'm hearing it, they're doing it. But now it's like, it's in, it's, they're entrenched in it because we spend so much time on the front end and that training in that first 90 days, making sure that that's a, a habit that helps them win down the road. So you go full undercover boss on them, huh? <laughs> a little bit, a little yeah. bit. I think it's, it's hard to do the, you know, the, the, the in office stuff, but we do the secret shops and, you know, we get yeah. those back and we, know, we work on them together, you know, and we listen to calls and we, you know, we coach and it's a circle of trust, right? It's like, how can we be better? I would never say this again, the way you did it. Here's how we should say it. What's the best way to say it. And I'm more of a collaborative leader. Uh, then what's the best way. And that's the way we're going to move forward with. Well, that's what sets you apart. I mean, like, it's like what Dave's brought up a number of times is, is just taking those extra few steps that, you know, in, in our industry, you know, people are so average. If you're doing the the simple things, like, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't cost you a ton of time to do that. It doesn't require a bunch of energy. It's probably fulfilling for you. And, and it, you know, allows your, your team to excel and succeed. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to concentrate for the rest of the podcast now, because I'm imagining what Billy's undercover boss, <laughs> you know, what his getup would look like if he were to try and crazy mustache. Into, yeah. Sneak into his agency. <laughs> it would be awesome if he had like one of those mustache things with the, with the handle on it. And that's all he had. Like he walked in thinking he was fooling everybody and he just had the, the one. No, I'm not Billy. Same shirt, same suit, whatever. <laughs> just, just one mustache. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. Oh, that's funny. Mm-hmm. So, so why Brightway versus running your own gig? Yeah. So I started, uh, with Brightway kind of before they were Brightway. Uh, mm-hmm. so there was a, a friend of mine that started that, and so I kind of helped build that franchise, um, you know, from a Billy, are they are they based in Jacksonville? Yeah. So we started okay. in Jacksonville. That and makes sense. Yeah. That was kind of right here. It, it was home. And I looked at going in, you know, going with Nationwide independently at that time. I looked at going with State Farm, Allstate. I knew I wanted to be independent. And, you know, we're kind of building a different model. It's um, and, and they gave me the opportunity to buy into the franchise. Right. So I built. 10 stores out, um, hired all the people. We had, you know, 70, 80 people and I built it to a $50 million premium 
territory in about 10 years. And um, then I sold my rights back to them. And now I'm going to build that same size. In about another 10 years, I'll be that same size with one location. So that's kind of my goal right now is to, um, you know, be more efficient. And I think it was like what you said earlier, David, is, is knowing what's going on in my kid's life. My kids are 10 and 12 right now. And I decided that I was going to really focus on what I was spending my time on. And I pulled back on some of the risk that I had out there and I pulled back on the time. And I, right now I'm retired from everything I don't have a passion for. So I'm, I'm trying to build and grow the organization more efficiently than I did before with one location. And, and I know we'll do it. We'll do it fa faster and it'll be a ton more profitable. And, and so it, I'm reorganizing it right now. And, and the reason Brightway is unique is the fact that, you know, my team is focused only on one thing. We're focused on sales, right? So we're, we're out there doing all the lifting and, and hustling on that front. And, you know, I don't have to worry about the accounting and the marketing and the website and all those other stuff. It frees me up and it's a good model for someone that wants to grow fast. They're touching my clients probably 500 times a day. If I was doing that, there's no way I could grow the way that I am because we're doing a, a lot of personal lines. So it's very, you know, low margins, high volume, you know, so it's a different, it's a different game. Yeah, for sure. It's, um, you know, it's interesting because I go through different seasons of thought and, you know, for a while there, my, my thought process was I want to keep the pedal to the metal and grow as fast as I can. I want to just, I want to keep pushing the envelope, pushing the envelope. You know, we have something unique. We know we can do it. And, you know, from a cultural standpoint, it's a heck of a lot easier to get people to buy into an, a, a mission where you're focusing on making somebody's day better and you're providing them a good place to work and you're investing in them to make them better than saying, hey, let's just push, push, push and try and drive the top line because they don't, they don't have a vested interest in that nearly as much as they do the other things. And I mean, I'm really at the point right now where I don't care if I write another policy, to be honest with you, if I maintain what we have and we can do that profitably with the right people and everybody just has a good time working. I mean, obviously you can't help but grow, but not anywhere near what we, not, not anywhere near the spike that I was really pushing um, for the first couple of years, because at this point, number one, you can't keep that up. And number two, COVID, when they shut the barber shops down, forced me to go without a haircut. And I saw how much white hair I had now. So <laughs> I mean, I woke up one morning and if I'd have slicked it straight back, I'd have looked like Polly Walnuts. So I had, <laughs> I had to, had to reassess, you know, reassess some things. But I mean, I would tell you, and I, I think Kyle would probably agree. I hadn't seen Kyle in a couple months other than like this, just because, you know, he's 50, 50 minutes away from me across the street from our other office. But the last couple of months has been the best since, since I've been in business. And I would argue since he's been, on board too. And, you know, we've gotten more accomplished than we have in a couple years. Yeah. I will tell you that that's the same for us. I, I think what's really important is momentum. I think we, we lose sight of like, it's you're, you have a, like a focus on what you're doing. And, and, you know, we started at the beginning of this year with really trying to push certain initiatives. So we redesigned our sales process. We redesigned our, um, the way we network, what I talked about earlier, we kind of took it and again said, how can we make it better? And 
we're doing these like little small workshops and you know i had these annual goals at the beginning of the year and we crushed them in the first quarter like we were up 42 percent in sales and we already did you know five million dollars in green new business the year before you had eleven hundred dollars of policy so we were already really busy and we were we we were up 42 percent over that and then we did all these things where we knocked out you know like these different processes and and really redefined kind of some of those really key areas and I just feel so good about where we are right now as a team and and it's clicking on all cylinders you know and we we didn't miss a beat through this you know this issue where we all you know things got shut down and we just pivoted and we're we're still rocking and rolling what does what so what does your hiring process look like i'm sure it's changed a little bit in you know in the recent you know history since you have kind of shifted your focus but what's what's that look like for you yeah, I mean that's that's one of my strengths. I made a lot of painful lessons, a lot of expensive experience in that area, and uh, I've got an 18-step hiring process right now, and it's very defined. Eighteen. Uh, Eighteen steps, and it's almost okay. like you know getting into the FBI or CIA to come on board with <laughs> us. You know, I, it's it's and it's it's like that on purpose, and it's mm-hmm. it's we put a very large funnel, so we're actually we're hiring somebody. We just hired the day. The, we closed down is when we started our last employee and we're actually hiring another person right now. And we'll put a hundred people through that funnel. Um, and it's through centers of influence. So we'll, you know, we'll do social media posts. I'll email centers of influence and say, Hey, I want to, I'm interested in talking to people that have these characteristics. Please help me out and send them our way. We, we have 18 steps that we go through. So if they're not a good fit, uh, all we'll do is make you look good and sending them over us, to us so that we can educate them. And we, uh, we're, we do a personality profile uh, index. We do uh, an email interview, which is one of the biggest time savers. When I switch to that, the very first thing they get is an email interview. And it's, you know, an automated thing where they we ask them five questions. And I can tell, you know, I can take that hundred applicants down to probably about 20 just through that email and nobody touches it. So then, then they, um, they get a phone interview with somebody, they get a, uh, an in-person interview once they get past that and we we only do about five in-person interviews and then we do a a panel interview uh at the end with the entire team um mostly we're pretty much decided by that point but uh we we just everyone gets buy-in and and before we bring them on and they get a very clear offer letter of what winning looks like in the role we play the movie out for them and say, this is what it is and this is what it takes to win. So it's to be unclear is to be unkind. So everything is laid out, like how are they going to win? And then they go through that 90 day probationary period and, um, and we're pushing and growing and that they spend, we spend uh, about 48 hours straight hours teaching them the whole process. This is something that we changed that was really critical. And that very beginning stage, when somebody gets hired, we do like an or- we do an orientation, and then we're like, "Go sit with Sally." That's terrible, right? You've got to really make sure that they are every single minute is scheduled so that there's so much growth, and that they're used to the pace. And we do it over um, we do it over a weekend too, because it's like, "Hey, make the commitment." Our team is busy, and we're going to spend the time to show you the whole thing from start to finish. Because if you start piecemealing it, then they don't get it. So we show them the whole thing and then we go down and break down each piece uh, over the next, you know, 60 days after that. So that's part of our hiring process is like through all the way through that 90 days. And it's um, it's something that I've refined and I'm always changing and always trying to improve upon it. But it's it's worked Sounds really well for us. 
It sounds pretty basic to me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, listen, you use numbers. Is that like a realistic yield? If you have 100 people, one of them gets to the end? Yeah. yeah it is one. Really? I say we have a 99% turnover rate before they start, right? So it's like only the 1% kind of get through there, and they have to kind of hit on all the – and we have a – the other thing we have is 10 characteristics that we know – cause them to win you know so it's they have to be competitive in some way like there's we we figured out what these are and we've also we use a company called predictive index that does a cognitive test on them so we know if they don't score a certain cognitive test they're they're we're not gonna have to show them something three or four times before they get it they're gonna get it right away and then it also what we did is we took our top 20 people in the whole network and we characterized them and we matched them up to every applicant coming on board. So we know whether they're going to be a good fit or not based on so many different metrics. So it's like the more data, the better, the more information you can find out. And that's why we have so many steps. Yeah, that's pretty solid. I saw that you put the uh, feelers out on social media yesterday, I think, or the day before Mm -hmm. and mentioned that you had the multi-step hiring process and all of that. You touched on it, but I'm interested in, you know, how do you, it, it's a delicate dance that you have to do if your centers of influence are referring people in and literally 9.9 out of 10 are told no, right? Yeah. So, it, and to me, it's probably no different or it isn't really any different. Like, for example, this week, I had one of my largest commercial clients refer a piece of business to me. And in their mind, it's like, I'm doing David a favor. I really want to help him grow his business. And I'm looking at this thing thinking, what am I going to do with this? You know? And so you, you know, you have to do, you have to play both sides of the fence. You know, obviously you want to try and help the person who's looking for a job or in my case needs help with their insurance, or in this case really didn't need help with the insurance. I honestly would have liked to have been part of that conversation to figure out how my client convinced this guy that he needed to talk to me because really when he sent all of his, his stuff over for me to review, there wasn't much of anything wrong with it. Um, But, you know, how do you balance that? How do you make sure you don't blow up the relationship with your center of influence if they send somebody over, especially if that person's a close relationship of theirs? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's important. What I did was I looked at where we were having success in, in the past and most of them came from those centers of influence, or it's like a relationship through somebody on the team. You know, when you've got a bunch of stallions that they want to run with stallions. And so you, the more the people they know are, are the people that you want to bring on board. And I think it's really just being honest with them and just saying, hey, it's it's a tough gig to get on board here. Uh, you know, and w- the only thing I'm going to promise you is that we're going to teach them something through that re- through that process. We're going to show them how to be better through the interview process and we'll give them some feedback on, you know, what are some of the things they can improve as they're going. And we'll also try to connect them with other people that might be hiring that they're a better fit for. So there's a lot of things that we can do to add value to that and make sure that we're validating the person that's sending that stuff over to us. And, you know, I think that's the commitment that you make. And, you know, I would much rather us say, Hey, that's not a good fit than bring them on board and then it doesn't go well. And then now they're, they're upset about that, you know? So. Right. Hey, I agree that that does make sense. And I've got good news and bad news. The good news is I'm no longer worrying, wondering about Billy's disguise for undercover boss. Now I'm thinking about Bill and Ted's excellent adventure in a wild stallions t-shirt. So. (laughs) 
Very good. For whatever reason, you said stallions and took me to a completely different place, man. But <laughs> yeah, that's that's good stuff, man. And I mean, I, I guess there is some truth in that, and it probably is a little bit similar to what we do on the sales side. There are a lot of times where I'll meet with somebody in the meetings, like five minutes. I mean, I talk I talk about this. You know, first meetings for me can be five minutes or an hour and a half, and I have actually gotten business referred to me from people that I have killed the meeting with. Like I had a guy um, a couple of years ago that I went in to meet with him and somehow he passed all of the steps, right? Like I don't have an 18 step new business process or anything, but you know, I do pre-qualify to a certain degree. There's things I'm listening for things I ask because we're not normal. We're not a normal agency in how we operate and you have to fit in what we're looking for. And we know what works and what doesn't just like you do. Um, this guy made it through and I get in there and he's, you know, I, I'm trying to build some rapport with him and I can tell by the way he's answering his questions, you know, that this is just not going to go well. And we get literally like five to seven minutes into the meeting. And I said, look, man, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I've been doing this for a long time and this is probably going to catch you off guard, but I'm a hundred percent convicted to what our value proposition is and how we engage with clients. And my gut's telling me that we're probably not going to have a good relationship if, even if you decide you were to hire me. So rather than waste any more of your time and honestly waste any more of mine, I say we just kill the meeting. You have a great company. You guys have built, you know, built a good, uh, good business here. It's just not going to work based on what we do. And, and I appreciate you taking the time to meet with me, but I'd rather not waste it. And I left and, you know, I do, I've done that and, and one of two things happens. The first one, you know, they let me leave or people will change their tune. Sometimes people are just beating their chest to, to test you to see how much you're going to be willing to cave. Well, in this case, the guy let me leave. And two weeks later I get a phone call and he's like, Hey, uh, this guy, this guy says, Hey, uh, Joe from, from ABC Corp told me I needed to give you a call because I'm having some workers comp problems. I said, I don't work with him. He said, no, 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 you don't work with him. In fact, that's why he told me I needed to call you. He said that uh, you went over to meet with him and you could tell that he wasn't as serious as you were. And he told me that for as messed up as my workers comp is right now, if there's anybody at all that can fix it, you're the guy. And you were serious enough. You killed the meeting and left without trying to sell him something. So (laughs) I'm calling you and I closed the deal. Yeah, that's great. but But it's crazy. I think that when you do... If you do the right, you know, again, I'm not like this Zen master or anything, but I think that if you do the right thing, you tend to breed the right results. They just don't necessarily come to you the way that you expect them to come to you. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the it's the lessons, too. Right. So that's teaching your team. What did you identify early on that you realized that that wasn't a good one and it wasn't a good use of our time? And that's the that's the commodity we're all trying to measure. Right. It's like, how do we make sure that we're as efficient as possible. And what we're, what we're working on is, is going to, to kind of work out in the end. Right. Well, unfortunately for my team, they understand that I will walk away from large sums of money if I don't agree with the person. So they, they may not appreciate that at face value right when it happens, but over time they understand that I probably had a method to my madness. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've, I've definitely witnessed that firsthand and it's, uh, <laughs> It it depends on the person. Sometimes, sometimes I immediately agree. Sometimes, like, "Mm." but no, you're 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 right most of the time. Most, most. I can't go all. I can't. You know, all is all is all is all. You know. No, yeah, I'm 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 trying to run all the time. 
No, I'm trying to. It's like the employee review, right? You have these people that you have that are that are um, you know managers that don't want to give somebody a five if it's a one out of five because there's nowhere to go from there, so they give them all threes. It's like, <laughs> really? But I, but you just told me I was above average. Why did you do that? Uh... But you know, so it's it's interesting. What um, we're hearing a lot of stuff, man. You know, you're obviously wired into personal lines. I am unwired from personal lines. I mean, we we do stuff as an accommodation. Truthfully, if it's anything outside of I can just log on quick and run a quote and get it placed for somebody, I flip it over to Michelle Mosier and let her have it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because she's literally like five, ten minutes away from me. Yeah. But um what you know, there's there's a lot of stuff getting ready to go down in Florida, it looks like from whether it be the grumblings you hear about demo tech ratings or the grumblings you're hearing about rate increases that are forthcoming and all of that, what do you see getting ready to happen over the course of the next 12 to 18 months? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the hardest the market's ever been, particularly with personal lines. There's a, there's a lot of volatility in the marketplace and particularly right now with the reinsurance buy going on, there's, you know, there's just not enough money. So if I study the financials of these companies like they're my own, I know them really well. I'm I'm constantly looking at their combined ratio, their RBC score, you know what what their debt ratio is, what their quota share looks like, and they're just unhealthy right now. And if if right now a large portion of the companies, if they just stay where they're at, they're going to lose a ton of money. There was a hundred million dollars put back just to break even on Florida domestic carriers in the last year. And that's without a storm. We didn't have a storm. So, you know, there's a, it's, there's a lot of fraud going on. There's a lot of attorneys that are, you know, doing this trenching stuff where they're like, oh, if you have these certain kind of pipes, you know, call us. So there's so many things. They will find the holes and they will uh, manipulate those holes. So there's definitely, there's definitely a lot of volatility in the marketplace. We're seeing rate increases between 20, you know, we used to market at 10% for every 10%, we would re, remarket the risk. Now we had to move it to 20% and sometimes 25%. There's just the market. If nothing changes legislatively, the market will, the premium on a personal lines will double over the next 18 months. So wow. that's how wow. bad it is. That's how bad it is from the reinsurance and, and for what they're experienced from losses that, you know, that's significant. It's interesting because we haven't really seen that that much on the commercial side yet with regard to property, right? So nobody's Mm -hmm. really taken any kind of property rates or anything. That way, people are just getting crucified on auto, just absolutely crushed. Mm -hmm. And the Tampa Bay area as a whole is probably rated worse than Miami or Atlanta is at this point, based on what I've heard. You know, carriers have been taking 20, 25 points the last couple of years. I'm seeing fleets that they used to have, you know, combined single limit on a fleet of 50 vehicles. They'd get it for $1,500 a year. You're looking at $3,500, $4,000 a unit for a good pricing. Those are for the clean risks. So it's crazy what's happening to the ones who aren't clean. Yeah. And it's unfortunate too. It's like, you know, the carriers are kind of backed into a little bit of a corner. And then what they're doing is they're taking an ax to the coverage, right? And that's what they have to do. But it's unfortunate, you know, because we're going to look back if we can get the market healthy and get some of the fraud out of it. Now we've got a, a less, the, co- the policy coverage doesn't cover what it should anymore. So it's just a, it's a difficult, it's a really difficult thing. And, you know, I mean, it obviously provides opportunity for us when there's hostility in the marketplace. It's, it's always better because people are looking at their stuff and there's some pain points. 
So we're definitely trying to, you know, manage those and, and work with them. But it's it, it really matters on carrier selection, too. So, you know, you can put something if you're flying with the flavor of the day, it's you're going to be rewriting that and it's it's going to you know be pain. But if you put it with a quality company, you know, and in my opinion, in Florida, there's 40 companies. There's about five or six that are that stand above them all. And we try to put all of our business with those five or six. And that's how we have so much more stability than a lot of the rest of the marketplace is because they're they're chasing these premiums that are flying up because there's no profitability. If you put it with a stable carrier that's got good financials, then you can kind of ride that out a little bit longer. Right. What are your thoughts on how InsureTech is changing things in personal lines? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 crazy. I mean, it, understanding, you know, what's happening with data is probably the, the, the biggest thing for me is just trying to understand you know, how, to, how to leverage that and how to capture it properly. Uh, that's, that to me is exciting. Um, as I was saying earlier, like I like to look at things and go, okay, that took five minutes. How do we make it take four minutes? And so I'm seeing, you know, people in the marketplace, uh, that are, that are doing some things with technology that is pretty fantastic. And, uh, you know, like the lemonades, I was watching them for a while and, you know, you've got the agency like Ken that are doing some really cool stuff technology wise. That is not something that all other agents, you know, we can all do those kind of things. And so it, that's what I like is that, you know, you, the, the tide rises all boats. And so if you can kind of pick what, what's really working well in the marketplace and try to adapt and, you know, I think there's a, there's a future, but I think you have to, you have to really be looking at what are the tools out there that can make you more efficient and more effective and, and try to utilize those. Yeah, I think it's crazy. We have a contract with Swift. Mm-hmm. And so when, when you, you know, and I've heard all kinds of mixed stuff from various channels on the internet from states that they've pulled out of or whatever else. What I do know about them that's that's I find to be interesting is they're one of the only A rated AM best carriers that we have in Florida. Everybody else is a demo tech uh has a demo tech rating, which that's six one six one way half dozen the other, but it just blows my mind that you can literally put in an address in, hit a button and in 30 seconds, you have a bindable quote. Now, you can go in, modify it, whatever else. So for me, I basically, anytime something comes in for, for a homeowner's quote, I, I tell everybody, just go to Swift and put it in first. That'll be our baseline. Let's see what, look, what everything looks like relative to that. And what we found is after running things through Quote Rush, which is who we use for our personal lines raider, there's about a 50-50 chance that thing's going to stay with Swift. Now, I don't know how long Swift's going to be around because it seems like they've got a nasty habit of, you know, coming in and buying the market and then pulling out. I haven't noticed that their rates here have been artificially low. I don't know if you have any experience with those guys or not, but I, you know, the stuff that I've heard, you know, on the grumblings I've heard on the internet is they come in and they're really, really cheap and then they pull out and they're, they have a hard time handling the claims relative to heritage or, um, you know, I'm trying to think of who all we have. Heritage or um, we have Security First. Security we First, them. no. Um, Universal. Universal and all of them. I don't. I don't really see Swift's pricing to be artificially low, which which I find to be interesting. And you know, everything I've heard is that they plan on focusing on being coastal and this, that, and the other. And maybe maybe they're just going to ride that wave you talked about. Maybe they're getting in now. Have a year or two of, of good claims experience because we haven't really gotten hammered by storms too bad the last couple of years 
then they ride that price increase with everybody else. Maybe it works out for them. I don't know. But I mean, just the fact that you can go and put an address in and that much data can be gathered from a single interface to generate a quote blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that the folks that are the insure tech that are using that technology, they're getting burned by it for the most part right now, but they will figure it out and they will figure out what are the metrics they have to put in there because it's a sophisticated, the, the more sophisticated the carrier is and coming up with the rate, the better and more accurate it is. Right. So like the companies that are doing single risk modeling, a lot of other agents are really, they don't like that. I, I prefer it because I want the, I want to know that they have at least looked at this risk and said, okay, if I apply reinsurance and our cost to it, we can actually make a dollar on it, then they write it, right? If they can't, then don't write it because it's going to be pain for us down the road. And if any carrier is at the top of quote rush or whatever rater you're using, it's the wrong. It's it's a hole in the marketplace that they probably don't know. They're not charging the right rate, and it's going to it's going to be pain down the road, and it's going to be more of a shock loss than it is if you go five down and go, okay, this is the most stable company, and here's the reason. And most of the time, the agents aren't telling people what the difference is. You know, I have carriers that pay sixty percent of their claims on the on the first visit with a claim check from an adjuster. That's a very big difference than 30, 45 days later where the rest of the market is, right? So if you explain that difference, people will buy it. But if they don't know, they're going to look at the price and they're going to go, that's it. That's the only thing I know to go by. So mm -hmm. we got to yeah, do I a better job as an industry in explaining those differences and trying to simplify our product. You know, we make it way too complicated. You said something that's interesting, and I think that it's a difference between how InsureTech has approached personal lines versus how InsureTech has approached commercial lines. In that, um, to my knowledge, and I'm sure that there's some out there that I don't know about, but to my knowledge, the only true InsureTech carrier that has the ability to be client-facing right now is Pi, that's doing the, the workers' comp stuff where you can go in in, in under five minutes, have a bindable workers' comp quote. That's that's abnormal to the commercial world, but it seems like you know you've like you said lemonade. You have Hippo, you have Swift, you have uh, Coverly. I mean, they're, there's they're all over the place in personal lines. Where I see the insure techs playing right now, and it's actually developed some level of controversy, is more in a user interface that's that's more more friendly. So you have things like Tarmica and Semsi and Insured Mine, some of these others where you have the ability to go in and and get the basic information on a risk in and then it goes out and it gets all that it can off of the internet, but ultimately you're going to each of the individual insurance carriers websites to get your quotes and your your coverage terms and all of that. I think that's a whole different animal. It is obviously a whole different animal than actually being the insurance company that's doing all of this stuff that's client facing and then writing it on your own paper. I think that there's a little bit of a head, you know, the, the commercial guys are, are hedged a little bit better. Maybe they're doing that approach as a stepping stone to get to the point where it can be directly consumer facing. I don't know, but I do think it's a dangerous game to, you know, learn while you're going. You know, I mean, I, I think that that's tough. And I mean, with the number of these companies that are in and out, in and out all over the country, it's it's evidence of that. You know, this isn't an easy industry from that standpoint. Like 
if you put me in a room and ask me to put together actuarial tables or whatever else, I would probably put my hands behind my back and run face first into the wall because that would be more fun to me. <laughs> but, you know, I, it, or, and I'm also more capable of doing that. But, um, you know, I just it, it's interesting to see where things are going. And I think that, um, you know. I think that they're trying they're trying to remove the agent from the equation for all practical purposes. Let's call it what it is. And, you know, if you're an agent out there and you're not keeping yourself relevant, you probably should. Yeah. And doing things the way that you're doing and your your agency and, and you know, bringing in top shelf people and, and treating your referral partners right. Every single intentional action that you make is another step, another tentacle whatever it is to making sure that you're keeping yourself relevant. And, you know, if I were to give any producer any advice at all, you know, yeah, you need to go learn product knowledge and you probably should brush up on your skills on how to sell. But if there's one thing that you can do that will make you different than anybody else, it's do whatever you have to do to keep yourself relevant, period. You want to be the person that's there. Like when when they have a problem, you need to be the first person that they call. If you're not, then you've failed miserably. And, you know, I think that we do a bad job of that. Too many times it's hit it and quit it. We go out, we write the business and boom, we, you know, we'll see it renewal or we'll see you six months from renewal just to check in and see how things are going. You know, that's a that's a very dangerous business model. You might last a couple of years doing that, but you're going to end up getting accounts picked off left and right. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. I think we're, you know, we're looking at some of those things where it's we got to get away from so much transactional stuff. You know, it's if you can if you can be different and, you know, we're doing a lot of stuff now that we didn't before through a CRM that, you know, has made us more efficient and it doesn't feel like it's automated that's that to me is that's the next big step that a lot of agents need to make is they they've got to work on you know how to work on that automation to make sure it's 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 efficient and and you make the experience easy you know wherever you put pain point people are going to resist that and they're going to be frustrated and and then they will leave you slowly you know so that's the that's a really critical point and it's got to be tougher to do that in the personal lines market than than the commercial get away from that transactional piece yeah, I mean, it's really tough. I mean, we're doing 4,500 policies, 5,000 policies in a year. Right. It's really hard to make that relational, but you can. You just got to have a good system about it. You got to have, you know, we do a welcome video when somebody comes on board. You know, th- there's so many, you, you can touch them in different ways. And um, and it's all, again, about the relationship. It's about the relationship of how they came to us and the relationship with them going forward. And, you know, it it, it is transactional, but you can put relational touches in it. What are you guys using for a CRM, Billy? So we have been using a couple different models, and we just transitioned to do better agency. Actually, um, uh, there's a lot of them that I looked at, and I, I I spent I looked at about ten of them. The one that I love the most is HubSpot, uh, as far as like what it all can do. Uh, there's a one called InsureMind that I really like a lot. Um, the reason I went with better agency is I know there's agents that are they're more clearly ready to flip a switch and turn it on. And I could, I got it set up in two weeks um, and I totally changed, switched what I was doing. And there was a few things that I really wanted to make sure were done and I could do that really quickly. So there's a lot of tools out there. There's a lot of good ones. And for me, it was just the easiest path to get something going the quickest that could solve like four or five of my problems right away. 
Yeah, I think they've got it dialed in. And for the record, for everybody listening, Better Agency is an outstanding company. It's owned by several of my good friends, and they're also a Florida Risk Partners client. So we uh, we handle all of their cyber and, and ENO for them. Awesome. Listen, we're bump we're bumping on time, but I want you to take two seconds to talk. We're take as much time as you want. I want you to talk about what you guys do in the community because one of the things that's humbling for me is every time we have an agent on here or an agency principal, they talk about all the cool things they're doing. Now, I'm not going to be a jerk and tell you that Bob Klinger, you know, set the bar really high for everybody. But, but you know, Klinger, Klinger's been on the show and his air, episode aired this week. And I told Kyle, I really feel like I need to fire myself after listening to that guy talk. It was, I mean, he's such a cool guy and, and, and runs such a great organization in so many levels, but good grief, man. Yeah. I mean, you're, he's a machine. I just, I just want to set. I just want to set like my bar about half as high as where Bob is, and I know I'm still going to be golden. Every time you know? I thought he was done going over the stuff that they were doing, he was like, "Oh yeah," and then we also do this, and I'm like, "Jeez." <laughs> yes, Billy has an 18 step hiring process. Clint right. probably has a 54 step hiring process, <laughs> yeah. and 49 of those steps are automated. Right. Exactly. Yeah, he uses he uses HubSpot too. We we yeah. use HubSpot as well. Yeah. And, and um, I, you know, I, I shopped around a lot. I landed on it. I spent a lot. I've spent a lot of money on it, um, but it's an investment and it's an investment that has returned. It, yeah. You know, it, it, it's paid, paid us multiples back. But but talk about the stuff you're doing for community service, man. I know you're doing a lot. Yeah, no, that's that's again what I what I love most is, you know, one of my core values is making an impact. And so, uh, you know, when I wrote the book about four or five years ago, I wrote it for a company called Folds of Honor um, because my brother passed away in the military and left behind my five-year-old nephew. And so this this company or this organization, I've been following them. And, you know, when I was working with them, they were nobody. And now like Budweiser and everybody else is following them. They're, they just do great stuff, right? <laughs> and it's it's a powerful organization. And I was out there speaking um, and every single cent from my book goes towards that organization. And I've raised over $30,000 for them. And so a lot of the stuff that I do is either with the military or with children. So um, I've I've been a big brother for 10 years. Um, I was just big brother of the year last year. Um, And so I'm focused on those two areas because that's what I'm passionate about and helping. Um, I want to write this book, Guiding You and Help Kids. Uh, That's what I want to do. I want to help um, teach them what I took me so long to learn, like what I wish I would have known. Like now I feel like the world is slowed down for me and I can see things coming before they happen because I've spent so much time educating myself and I want to do that for kids. So I'm going to start a foundation that, that works with kids and helps kids. And so my, my charitable stuff is through those two organizations. I also sit on two or three nonprofit boards. I was the president of our rotary club. So I'm out in the community trying to make a difference and trying to be a leader that people can go, okay, I need to do what he's doing. And that's kind of been my goal. And I want to show my kids and my team and everybody that, you know, this is what we need to be doing. We all need to be lifting people up and being an example for other people to follow. It's awesome stuff, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's funny because when he first started saying something, he's like, yeah, I, I worked with this little organization called Folds of Honor. To help. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, holy cow. But yeah. you're right. I mean, those guys have blown up like over the last two years probably. I mean, that's that's turned into a really, really significant um, you know, presence. Well, listen, 
We're in an hour, man. That's all I ask for. It's been awesome talking to you, Billy. As always, I really appreciate your perspective on everything. And, um, you know, tell everybody how they can get a hold of you. If people have questions, they want to drill down. I know you're pretty generous. Obviously, you're generous with your time if you spend it an hour with us. So take some time to uh, just, just tell people how they can find you if they uh, want to follow up on any of the things you're doing. Yeah, this, this was fun. I really enjoyed doing it. Uh, you can find me on, you know, Facebook's probably the easiest way. Uh, I'm always trying to help agents. I've I've been lifted up. I feel like I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. So much that I've learned has been through my peers, and so I'm always willing to give back. Um, so if I can help anybody, I, I, I would love that. Um, so reach out to me and, and let me know what I can help you with. If you heard something today that, that you think will help, I'm, I'm happy to do that. And I just really enjoyed spending the time with you. It was fun. Absolutely, man. Listen, stay Likewise. dry this weekend. We're facing a big blob of red coming across the Gulf of Mexico. And it looked like it got a little disorganized, but I have a feeling that I'm going to have a very, very stressful weekend with four kids in the house. So <laughs> I hope you have a good one, man. Thanks you again too. for your time, Billy. Always a pleasure. All right. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.